What's going on, Law Nation? Welcome to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, your favorite place for learning about the world of alternative passive investing so that you can have more freedom, flexibility, and fun. Now, if you're ready to practice when you want to and not because you have to, start by going to attorneybydesign.com to download the Freedom Blueprint, which will also get you access to opportunities to partner with us on one of our next passive real estate investments. All right. Are you tired of paying taxes? Well, me too, but I am here to deliver some good news. The more wealthy you become, the less taxes you'll pay. That's right. And, and we've had big name CPAs like Rich Dad Advisor, Tom Wheelwright, and my friend Mark Pearlberg as well, but we've never had a tax attorney. What's the difference, you ask? Well, our distinguished guest today put it this way when describing why he went to law school after already being a CPA. And he said, quote, I don't want to be the guy to tell you what you can't do. I want to be the guy that tells you what you can do. Our guest says having a tax attorney on your team is the only way that you can take everything you deserve, but nothing that you don't. It also allows you to sleep better at night and not fear the IRS or an audit. Steve Moskowitz, managing partner and 30-year tax expert, helps businesses and individual clients across the country and overseas to create strategies to utilize the tax code and relevant treaties to clients' benefit and provide ongoing tax support and tax return preparation. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, NBC News, Forbes, and countless other news outlets as a go-to source for legal tax expertise. All right, folks, let's go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Steve, what's going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Super excited to have you on the show today to talk about taxes from a tax attorney. Uh, we haven't had one of those folks on our show before. So um, why don't you just start out with a little bit about, about your background and, and take it back as far as you'd like to? Well, probably. Well, one of my achievements was I started out as a New York City taxi cab driver. And I went to school a lot. And what happened was I got a bachelor's and master's degree in accounting, and then I became a CPA. And when I set foot into law school, I already had the bachelor's and master's in accounting. I was already a practicing CPA doing taxes. But the reason I went to law school, not to do divorces or chase ambulances, but because I realized that too often the CPA was the guy that says, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. I didn't want to be the guy that says what you can't do. I wanted to be the guy that says what you can do and have tax planning. Tax planning is what makes all the difference in the world between low, significantly lowering your taxes and having a massive stack of checks, canceled checks payable to the IRS. And that is something that I said, well, okay, look, I want to take all these advantages for clients. And, and too many times when people have tax returns done 
you have somebody basically moves the numbers from one piece of paper to another piece of paper and say, here you go, here's what you owe. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is say, well, look, you can set up this and you can set up that. And I'm going to give you a few teasers today and tell you some of the ways you can save massive taxes. And then if the government does want to question it, that's fine. We'll go ahead and defend it. And my entire career, you know, I've been live on the radio every day for over 30 years and also live as a TV legal analyst for 17 years. And the bottom line is what I have always talked about is you should take everything to which you're legally entitled, no more and no less. But as a practical matter, most people cheat on their taxes. They cheat themselves by not doing that. And they don't know it or they're somehow afraid of it. And I, I, I take a clue from the Fortune 500. Look at these companies. They're making billions of dollars in profit with a B. And look at how many of them don't pay taxes. One of the things I say to a client when I take a new client, I say, so do you make more or less than Apple computer? Oh, ha, ha. And they all laugh. So oh, I make less than Apple computer. I said, but guess what? You're paying more taxes than they do. And that is because the big companies have an army of people like me saying, do this and this and this. And what happens is what people don't realize is there's two purposes to the tax law. One, everybody knows about extracting money from us. But the other one is in, in democracy, the government can't order us to do things they want us to do, even if it's good for the economy. So how, how do they get us to do it? They give tax incentives. And that's why when you see these, these giant companies making all this money and not paying taxes, that's how they do it. And that's how I started out my career too. I worked for a giant firm whose clients were the Fortune 500. And I realized that, and I always worked real hard, but I realized that I was not going to make a difference to a Fortune 500. I could have been the best guy on the team, the worst guy on the team, or just not shown up. And it wouldn't matter. And I said, do I want to spend the rest of my career where it doesn't matter? And I said, no. So 30 years ago now, I went out on my own. And basically what I do for small and medium-sized business is a lot of the stuff that the Fortune 500 does. And there's so much there. For example, let's talk about one of my favorites. I'm gonna use the word pensions. There's a, a slight technical difference between pensions and retirement accounts, but I'm gonna use the terms interchangeably. And there's four big benefits to having a pension. One, you pay less taxes. Most people say, Steve, you got me there. But besides that, what we have is your earnings are not taxed while it sits in the retirement account. So no brainer, if you're not paying taxes, the earnings go bigger and faster. Benefit three, cash flow. With most tax planning, you have to write the check by December 31st, year one, in order to get the deduction for year one. Pensions is an exception. With pensions, with a lot of them, you can set up the plan and fund it as late as about three quarters of the way into year two, but still deducted from year one. So the reason I mentioned that for people that are listening to your podcast now, thinking about doing last year's tax, they say, oh no, I wish I heard this guy, Steve, before. That's a wonderful idea. Boy, I would have saved so much. I'll do it next year, but I really regret last year. I say, good news for you you still may have a chance to deduct it. And so that's the third benefit. And the fourth one is asset protection. Pensions enjoy special protection at federal law. 
So, you know, if you're in business, what's one of the downsides? People get sued all the time. And you have some jury that says, you know, I think it would be a good idea today to award a massive amount of money, which, by the way, happens to be more than your insurance. That plaintiff can take away everything that you have, but not your pension. And although I hate to mention his name, the poster boy for this is O.J. Simpson. Look at that massive judgment he has against him. And he's not lost one penny of his pension. So another way to think of this, you have all these benefits. And instead of writing those big checks to the IRS, you're writing big, bigger checks to your pension and smaller checks to the IRS. And you can have multiple pensions because some people say, well, I have a pension. That's okay. You can have multiple pensions. And this is something that's tremendous for people. Another thing that I take a look at, a lot of people have real estate. And you say, well, okay, real estate, that's good. There's all kinds of benefits. And let's talk about the tax. Well, I get depreciation. That's good. And if I have a commercial building, I have to write it off over 39 years in residential 27 and a half. So we do something called cost segregation analysis. We send an engineer to your property. And what he or she does is, well, okay, this part is 39 or 27 and a half your property. But this part is 15-year property, and this part's 10-year property, and this part's five-year property, and this part we can write off all this year. And then we do a change in accounting method. And what happens now is we have a much bigger depreciation deduction. And this is what the banks do, time value of money. A benefit today is more valuable than a benefit 39 years from today. So then you say, well, okay, when somebody gives you something nice, what do you say? We, thank as you. attorneys, we say more. I want more. Most people, <laughs> most nice people would say thank you, but we as attorneys say more. I want more. And I say, <laughs> well, okay, we can combine these things. So suppose we have this situation. Suppose we have a brain surgeon who's married to a house husband. And suppose the brain surgeon owns the medical building that she practices in or she rents it to other people. And she has gross rents for the year for 10 mil and cash expenses of nine mil. So she has a, a cash profit of a million dollars for the year. But then we come in, we do a change in accounting method and we pop in an extra mil and a half of depreciation. And now we go ahead and we show that our building has a net loss of half a million bucks. Well, first of all, we didn't write a check to depreciation. It's just, it's a paper entry. It's, you know, it's an entry on the computer. So she pays zero income taxes on her million dollars of profit from the building. And you say, well, wait a minute. Could I use that other half a million I have left over depreciation to offset wages, dividends, interest, profit from a business? Well, most accountants say, well, no, you can't do that. That violates the passive activity loss rules of Internal Revenue Code Section 469. But you say, well, wait a minute, look at 469 closer, and you'll find there's an exception, the real estate professional exception. So with a married couple filing a joint return, only one of them has to qualify. So let's go back to our doctor's example. She says, honey, you're going to have to get off the couch. You can tape Oprah. You're going to go ahead and manage the building for me. If he qualifies as a real estate professional, and that's not hard to do, now, instead of being a disallowed passive activity loss, 
we can use this loss. So now we have that extra half a mil depreciation because hubby is managing the building and qualifies as a real estate professional. We take that other half a million bucks, offset it against the brain surgeon's income. And here we have the sweetest words in the English language, a positive cash flow with a tax loss. So let's take a look at our brain surgeon and her husband. They've made a million and a half dollars, but they haven't paid income tax on it legally. And how they do that? Well, they went ahead and had a real estate investment, which is oftentimes a very good investment in and of itself, stepped up, accelerated depreciation, used cost seg, had hubby qualify as a real estate professional. And then what happens is we get to have that million and a half with no taxes. But suppose wifey made more than half a million. We still don't want to pay taxes, do we? Well, then what we do is what we just talked about. How about a pension? Ah, uh, yes, we can wipe out income with a pension. And suppose she had a dynamite year this year. She says, wow, you know, I've made an unusually large amount of money. And this could be true, whether it was from her practice or the sale of a real property or for anything. These pension plans are so flexible that one of the things you can do, I don't want to use the term trick. I prefer the term procedure. One of the procedures you can do is you can make multiple plan year contributions in one calendar year. So in English, you get several years deductions in one year to offset that extra amount of money. Now, if there's any aviation attorneys listening to this, you ought to jump up and down on this because my understanding of aviation attorneys, they go years making nothing and then they hit big and they make Boku. So if you're in that year where you have Boku, you want to go ahead and increase this pension deduction with multiple years. So we start to combine these things. And then there's so many other things that we can do. For example, R&D, research and development credit. And also, let me mention the difference to our, our listeners as the difference between a credit and a deduction. Suppose I have a $100,000 tax deduction and I'm in the 30% tax bracket. I save $30,000 in taxes. But if I have a $100,000 credit instead of a $100,000 deduction, I save $100,000 in taxes. And here with these things they call credits, the government will actually write you a check like with R&D, ERC, the government writes you a check. So research and development credit is, it doesn't have to be new to the world. It's just got to be new to you. So a lot of times you'll see doctors and other professionals say, well, I've done something innovative. You know, most doctors do X or they do Y. But, you know, I did this new procedure where I combined some of X and some of Y. I think it would be better. Oops, it wasn't. I failed. The very fact that you tried to get you this credit. And the beauty of this one is most things with tax planning, you have to invest money in something, then you take the tax benefits. But with R&D, what we do is we come in and we say, okay, let's take, we're not asking you to spend a new penny. Let's see, what did you do this past year? And we study it and say, you know what? With what you did, this portion qualifies for R&D. And then always wanting more when we get something nice, say, you know, let's look back at the last three years and the last three years, oh, you've done the same thing too. We can amend the federal returns. And then 
we say, well, okay, if you're listening to this in a state that has a state income tax, and most states do, 41 states do, then you can go back and amend the state return. For example, here in California, there's a four-year statute. And then somebody says, oh, you know, wow, that guy, Steve, I really wish he could go ahead and do my stuff, but I'm out here in Texas or Maine or Alaska or Illinois, and Steve's all the way over in Chicago. Oh, that's too bad. Well, first of all, we represent people not only all throughout the United States, but internationally as well, people that live in other countries. But somebody says, well, wait a minute, Steve, okay, so you can do my return, and now everything's remote anyway, so it doesn't matter if you're in your office, your home, or on vacation someplace or anywhere in the world. Well, what if I get audited and you know the IRS wants to talk to me? How could you do that? The IRS designates as an attorney the member of any state bar. So that means that for IRS purposes, I can walk into any office of, in the IRS in the United States. I am an attorney, whether it's here in California or Maine or Texas or Illinois or wherever. But some people say, well, okay, that's good. But what if I have to go to tax court? You know, the lawyer should really be familiar with the judges. And here I am in Texas or Illinois or, or Mass. And what about that? I say, well, for the tax court, there's only 19 presidentially appointed judges for the entire country, all 50 states. They literally travel around the country, which means that the judge we would appear in front of in California would be the same set of judges we'd appear anywhere in the country. So nothing is lost in, in more and more and more, especially since the pandemic. It's not like, well, I'll just walk into my local office and do things. It's just not that, that way anymore. Even with the courts, we're doing things by Zoom. Even with the audits, we're doing things by Zoom. So basically now you really don't have to leave your home and you're doing that. It's just the way our society has evolved and a lot of people like it that way. So those are things that we can do. Then we, and here's another thing there, and there, there's so many credits. There's a credit to encourage hiring. Well, right now, talk to an employer. What's a major problem you hear from employers? I can't hire employees. I need more employees. Suppose, for example, you have a restaurant. You say, you know what? I've got to reduce hours and the service we're given is really horrible because people have to wait too long because I don't have enough waitresses or cooks or whatever. Well, the government gives a credit for hiring certain people like veterans, that's good. People have been unemployed for a while and some other categories and they give you 9,600 bucks a head. So let's go back to that small restaurant who's really hurting. And he says, you know what? I could use 10 new servers. Guess what? the government writes him a check for $96,000. Tell me what small restaurant you know that 96 grand wouldn't make a difference to that. So there are other things too. Some of the listeners say, you know, Steve, that's great if you have your own business, but I'm an employee in a law firm and I get a W-2. So what benefit is it for me? Why should I keep listening to this podcast? I said, well, I have good news for you. There's a lot of things we can do for you too. Because a lot of times when you have wage earners, especially as you start to go up in income, you have other sources of income like stock, like crypto, like real estate investments. So what we do is let's assume, for example, you are an employee of a law firm, but you're also a landlord. 
Well, the first thing we wanna take a look at is how do you hold the property? So for example, here in California, if you hold it in your own name, you don't wanna do that because if your tenant gets rip-roaring drunk, falls down, becomes a quadriplegic, he's gonna sue you and say, not because he got drunk that night, because of the way you maintained the floor, that's why he's a quad and you know, you, and you owe him a ton of money, the jury agrees. One lawsuit, as you know, as a fellow attorney, can take away everything you've worked for and saved in a lifetime. But if you set up the entity, the max you can take is that entity. An example of these things that you don't suspect, the wrestler Hulk Hogan. His adult son asked Hulk if he could borrow Hulk's car. Hulk said, sure, son. Hulk's son went and picked up his friend. They went driving along. Unfortunately, Hulk's son hit a tree. Hulk's son opened the door, walked away, wasn't even scratched. His friend, though, was a quadriplegic and sued him and Hulk because Hulk owned the car. And Hulk wrote about this in his book. And he said, had the plaintiff gotten everything he wanted, Hulk would have been broke. Hulk would have been bankrupt. That's why you want to do these things. And depending on what jurisdiction you're in, there's procedures to help you things. For example, here in California, if you set up an LLC, they charge you an $800 franchise fee. So if I said, well, you know, if I have 10 real properties, you want to set up 10 entities because remember, if you put multiple properties in the entity, they can take those properties. So you want to segment everything. You say, but you know what? Wow, 10 LLCs, that's 10 times eight. I don't feel like paying $8,000 in fees. So here in California, the way around it is you form one LLC and nine limited partnerships. So you have the asset protection of 10 different entities holding 10 different real properties, but you only pay the one $800 fee. In the other states, you would check with local council there. They probably have something similar. So that's one of the things. And then what we do is within that entity, we install a pension plan. And now what happens going through the company, because pension plans were set up to offset company income. This is investment income because we do it through a company. When the smoke clears effectively, we have a nice tax deduction against our investment income through our company that's doing this. We do the same thing for investors in crypto, stocks, bonds, where we set up the company, install the pension, and they save taxes, even though they don't own a business. So the bottom line is with taxes, what I always talk about is an awful lot of people focus on, ah, oh, you know, it's that time of year again, I got to file a tax return. And the tax return is a one-time event to them. They file the return, they grumble, and they write a check. Shouldn't be that way. Filing a tax return should merely be the summarization of a year worth of tax planning. And that's what I based my whole career on, is the tax planning. I want to be the guy that says, hey, because of me, I have somebody with a big fat pension account or a great real estate investment or, 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 instead of, you know, I, there must be some secret handshake someplace. I sure wish I knew what it was. I, I call it March Madness. People, for, and I'm not talking about basketball, people, you know, forget about their taxes all year. And then when it comes time for their own taxes, they, you know, I'm paying too much. There must be some, some way, because these big companies don't pay it. What's the secret? They grumble, they, they write the check, and then they forget about it. So the bottom line is, I'm just giving you a few teasers. There's so 
very much you can hear. And I've been rattling away for a while. And maybe you have a question or two for me. Oh, it's all good, man. That was that was all gold. I love how you said, uh, you know, you don't want to be the guy that tells you what you what you can't do you want to be the guy that can tell you what you can do and then you went on to to talk about all these different tax strategies that you can stack i mean you know the multiple pension plans um cost segregation uh becoming a qualified real estate professional r&d tax credits the rc uh credits um there's just a lot of creativity there um maybe dive in a little bit more to and you touched on it a little bit but but some of the strategies available for those folks out there that again maybe they don't have their own firm or they don't have their own practice they're they're w2 workers for someone else at a big law firm firm or at a hospital you know what are some of those things that they can take advantage of um in the meantime and maybe down the line they'll be able to they'll have their own practice so first of all you want to take a look is it worthwhile for you to start your own practice before you quit your job? There's benefits to a job too, like you get a salary and health benefits and, and a lot of other things. But you say, is it worthwhile to start my own business? The majority of tax benefits are for business, not for individual. There's still plenty of things we can do for an individual, but that's the first thing we want to do. Is there something? that wants to have me make that move. If there is, you want to explore it. And for example, suppose you're working for a firm and you're thinking about going on your own, probably your first client's going to be that firm. So you you talk with them and say, look, if I wanted to go out, would you be my client? And you work something out. Then you take a look at, well, what's the spouse doing? For example, I had the brain surgeon with a house husband, but he went out and started to manage the property. So they qualified to go ahead and take the benefit and get around the passive activity loss rules. So the majority of tax benefits are for people in business, but that's not all. It's like when I said with the landlords, we set up things with the investors, we set up things. And then there's a number of smaller things that probably wouldn't apply to your audience. you're getting to tax, you know, the, the tax credits for childcare and the other things. And, you know, if you work below a certain income, the government gives you credits. That probably belongs in a, in a different type of webinar, not for the type of audience I think you have. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I know that there's a lot of fear around the IRS. Whenever you say IRS, people we have kind of- nothing to fear <laughs> but fear itself. And I've heard that my whole career. And here's what I say. Suppose I said to you, do you you drive a car? Yes. Do you know you're setting yourself up (laughs) for a confrontation with organized law enforcement? The guy with a big shotgun and a sidearm may come over to you and and he's got a club. God knows what he'd do. He might just shoot you. But you still drive a car anyway, don't you? And you don't worry that a cop is going to shoot you. And you know what? In a lifetime of driving, you probably do get pulled over a few times. So what? You say, good evening, officer, and here's my driver's license, and here's my registration, and here's my insurance, and no, I haven't been drinking, and yes, I've been driving properly, and chances are the cop will run your license in his car for a couple minutes, come back and say, thank you, sir, we're just doing a check, you can drive on now. And it's the same thing I say with that. And on my radio show, I I did what I call multi-million dollar bank book. And with multi-million dollar bank book, what happened was I had twin brothers. They were alike in all respects, except brother one was my client 
and brother two was not my client. And my client was very aggressive within the bounds of the law, and that's fine. The other client was was real, the other person was really afraid of the IRS and didn't take all kinds of things because it's oh, I might get audited. I don't want that to happen. And in the course of a lifetime, my client got audited three times. I represented him. Each of the three times, the IRS agreed that what he did was fine. And at retirement, my client had a big fat retirement account. His brother never got audited, had a stack of canceled checks payable to the IRS and didn't have any money in the bank. Which brother's better off? <laughs> and also with an audit, in almost all cases, your representative goes to the audit for you. So almost all the clients that I represent, they don't talk to the IRS, deal with them, have anything to do with it. Our law firm takes care of it. So what? It's just like having the oil changed in your car. You drop the car off. You don't have to get your hands dirty. The mechanic does it and says, here's your car back. So there's nothing to, we would never, ever do anything illegal, of course. So what's there to be afraid of? Much like driving the car. So yeah, once in a while, you do have to show your driver's license. My legal response says, so what? Your lawyer goes and says, okay, here's what I did. It was all lawful and that's fine. So don't be afraid to take everything to which you're legally entitled. That's, that's what I said when we were talking earlier. I said that my entire career, I said you should take everything to which you're legally entitled, no more and no less, and that most people cheat on their taxes. They cheat themselves by not taking everything to which they're legally entitled. And remember, the United States Supreme Court has told us that you don't even have a patriotic duty to pay one penny more than you have to. And that's what I've dedicated my career to. And the more money you make, the more interested you're in this. And also, the, the, uh, for example, with our current administration, they want to raise the taxes. If that happens, these benefits are even more valuable. So the bottom line is, there's no reason why you shouldn't take them. And you don't have to do all this stuff. Somebody does it for you. Yeah, I love all that, man. Um, maybe to, to try to give people a, a better peek behind the veil to kind of dissipate some of that fear, maybe take us through the steps of when that happens. When someone gets audited, what happens? Do they get a call? Do they get a letter from the IRS? Right. And then so what happens? What happens? There's all different types of audits. There's a correspondence audit where the IRS sends a letter and says, dear taxpayer, your taxpayer, please send in these documents to prove what you've done. Or there's a field, a field audit or an office audit. A very common one is an office audit that says, okay, taxpayer, please come to the office on this date. And the IRS is going to talk about these sections of the return. Usually it's a sampling. Usually it's not the whole return. So you get the letter. And then what happens is you give that to your attorney. Your attorney calls up the IRS and says, hi, I'm representing Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And you choose a mutually convenient date for the lawyer to come in and talk with the IRS. So then what happens is you bring the documentation that you have, you talk to the IRS, and you either agree or don't agree. So if you agree, that's fine. It's all over. By the way, with all our pension cases in a 
40 plus year period, we've had a 100% rate success rate at the audit level because it's statutory. There's nothing to argue about. The statute says you can do this. Say, here's what I did. Statute said I can. There's nothing further. But let's assume you have something that's more complex. And let's assume the order doesn't understand it. When he doesn't understand it, he or she says, disallowed, you can't do that naughty taxpayer. And you say, well, I don't think you understand this and I respectfully disagree with you. I'm just gonna take the case over your head. Now here's the difference between CPAs and tax attorneys. Typically in that situation, the CPA will file for an appeal and go to an appeals officer. The tax lawyer won't. The tax lawyer will ignore the opportunity to go to appeal. And then what happens is the 90 day letter comes, also known as a notice of deficiency, which gives the taxpayer 90 days to file a tax court petition. The lawyer goes ahead, files a tax court petition, which essentially says, no, I don't know this, pays a $60 filing fee to get into the court. And then the clerk of the court sends your case right back to the same IRS appeals agents that the CPA went to directly. They say, well, wait a minute, Steve. Why did you take that circuitous path to the very same guy that the accountant went to directly and spend $60 of the client's money on top of that? Ah, two reasons. One, the burden of proof shifts from the taxpayer to the government for any new issue raised by the government. Now, what happens is the appeals officer is a more experienced person than the auditor. And sometimes you have a return like this, where the appeals officer says, well, you know what, Mr. Representative, you're right. The order was wrong on item one here, but he never noticed item two. I want to talk to you about item two. That looks like a problem. Well, if they do that now, burden of proof shifts to them. And usually they just don't have time to even look at it. So that's benefit one. Benefit two is statistically, if you look at all of the cases that are filed with the appeals people, the ones where they're called docketed cases, docketed case means it's you file the tax court petition, the percentage settlement they give is far more generous. So that's the two reasons why you take that path. Now, then you meet with the appeals officer. The appeals officer is a more experienced person. He or she will just understand more than the order did. Once again, like, like in the law firm, as you go up the ranks, the more experienced understand more than the rookies. And a lot of cases settle at this point. But suppose you have this situation. Suppose, for example, the appeals office, and I'll just make up a number for illustration. Suppose the appeals officer says, well, you know what, you know that hundred buck, that, that hundred you deducted, I'll, I'll split it with you. See, because at the audit level, it's yes or no, light switch on or off. At the appeals level, it's, well, what percentage? So suppose the, the auditor can't do that, the appeals officer can't. So suppose the appeals officer says, well, you know what, of that hundred you took, I'll agree that 70 is good and you concede on 30. Then you go back to your client and you give them your advice whether you should take it or not. So if you want to take it, that's fine. So I say, you know, I think I can do better. And then you tell the appeals officer, no, I think you're missing something here. Release it for litigation. Now you have a second settlement attempt. The second settlement attempt 
is with the IRS attorneys. There is a general standing order. All attorneys have to meet and confer. The courts are too busy for this. And the bottom line is, suppose the IRS attorney said, well, okay, you know that appeals officer, and, and again, this is just an example, a hypothetical that I'm giving you for this, but so we can understand with numbers. Suppose the IRS attorney says, you know what? I'll agree to 85% of that 100 and you concede on 15. Then you go back to your client and you say, well, all right, here's what I think you should do, whether it's accept or go on. If you decide to go on, you start at zero. You don't say, well, okay, I wanna see if I can knock out the other 15%. You start at zero and then the tax court judge will make a decision what he or she thinks. So that's essentially how handle a tax court case. But there's a lot of other things too. Suppose your receipts aren't perfect. For example, here in California, with all the fires, a lot of receipts were literally burned up. So what happens if you get audited and you don't have the receipts or don't have the proper receipts, or, <coughs> excuse me, you didn't know you could do something, so you didn't keep a receipt for it. Well, now what do you do? There's something called substitute evidence. Suppose I don't have the receipt from my entertaining. So I have. But I've entertained a lot in a particular restaurant. I can go to that restaurant tour and say, hi, remember me? Can you check your records and give me a letter and say, during the tax year in question, the taxpayer spent X number of dollars in my restaurant. That's good. Or you can't find your receipt for rent. So you go to your landlord and say, hey, can you give me a letter saying during the year I spent so much in rent? Or your landlord's out of business. You don't know where he is. Say, well, okay, look, during the year in question, I was in the XYZ building, comparable buildings around, they're charging rent of X now. And back in the year of the audit, rent was 10% less. So my, I can prove my rent was about so-and-so. That's another way. And something that should never be overlooked is the value of testimony. For example, you've made improvements to your home and you don't have any receipts. You can call your friends and neighbors who visit home and say, well, yes, I, I saw them put in the new kitchen. And then you get somebody else to come and say, well, a new kitchen like that would cost X. And don't overlook the value of your own testimony. An example here, a tax court case that I really like is, remember the boxer, Joe Fraser? Joe Fraser took a tax deduction for something on his mother's farm in Buford, South Carolina. And Joe didn't have any receipts. The IRS said disallowed. Joe said, I'll see you in tax court. Joe's witness was his mother. The judge assigned the case said, I looked at the mother. I saw an honest woman. I listened to the mother. I heard an honest woman. I believed her and he found for Joe. So Joe had a knockout in the tax court. <laughs> and, and people forget that because sometimes an IRS will say, well, if you don't have this, you lose. And that's it. Just sign it. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. It's not like what you say. <laughs> Remember, as, as a fellow lawyer, everything's adversarial. The guy on the other side, like the boxer, is not going to say to you, you know, every time you throw a left jab, you move your right hand away and your jaw is all wide open there. It's not going to tell you that. It's going to hit you instead. 
So it's not the IRS order's job to say, well, you're entitled to this and this and this. It's the order's job, like that boxer, knock you out. Everybody's there to win. So there's just, and, and for example, I remember I said I was scratching the surface and teasing in the other areas. On this one, I scratched less of the surface because there's so much here. I could do a whole series of these podcasts just on substitute evidence and the, the things we've done over the years to prove things. And one of my examples is, if you don't have a birth certificate, that doesn't mean you were never born. There's other ways to prove you were born. <laughs> I mean, you look, you look like you were born to me. You look like you're alive. What if you don't have a birth certificate? Well, then what? What we do? There's other ways. And, and that's one of the things that I'm all about. Whereas a lot of people, I've seen it with representative CPA. Oh, you don't have the receipt. Oh, that's it. You have to concede. There's nothing. You don't have the receipt. No, that's not how a lawyer approaches it. That's not how we approach it. And that's one of the differences that I found, again, having both licenses between a CPA that's saying, no, you can't do that. And a lawyer saying, well, you know what? Either you can, or we can work this out, or we can make a deal, or, you know, let's just use a little common sense. Yeah, the guy doesn't have a birth certificate, but he's breathing, he's alive, look at him. Makes a lot of sense. Steve, when someone hires you, do they also hire a CPA as well that you work with? Or will you be handling everything from, from top to bottom um, going forward? We handle everything from top to bottom. Okay. Makes sense. I need to get in a place where I can afford you, Steve, because I love what you're saying, man. <laughs> you can't afford not to have me. It's not how much you pay your representative. It's how much you pay the representative and the government. Suppose I said this to you, I'm going to ask you for a fee of $1 million and I'm going to get you $10 million of tax benefits. And the guy down the street says, I'll do your, your work for a hundred bucks and you get no benefits. Which of us would you hire? <laughs> I'll right take the 10 million. Bucks. <laughs> Which one would I, you want? Uh, down the street, I guess, because he was cheaper, right? <laughs> you know, 20% of the American public chooses only by cost. And that's a mistake. You don't look at the gross, you look at the net. It's like back when I was a professor and I'd be talking about international taxes. One of the things, one of the hypotheticals I give the students, I say, okay, you can do the same job in country X or country Y and your salary in country X is a uh, hundred and your salary in country Two is 70. Which job would you take? He goes, oh, I would take the job as 100. I said, you would. Now would you? Well, I didn't tell you that in the first country, the tax rate was 90. So you'd have 10 left over. And in the second country, the tax rate was 20. You'd have 50 left over. Now, which job do you want? Because that's what you have to look at. It's not the top line that counts. It's the bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, before we jump into the Freedom Four, what's one last golden nugget for our listeners? You should take everything to which you're legally entitled, no more and no less. And if you don't know that, and unless you're a tax attorney, you probably don't, you should go to somebody that's willing to sit down with you, learn your situation, talk to you, and explain to you what's available. You don't want to go to a guy who says, you know what, this is way too complicated for you. You would never understand any of this anyway, sign here. I don't want that guy. It, and that's true, any professional that I would, if I go to a doctor, I want the doctor to explain to me 
well, what, what, why should I take that medication? What happens if I don't? What are the side effects? What are the benefits? And that's what you want to do in taxes. And that's the difference between paying a lot of taxes, you don't have to, or having a much fatter bank account because you took advantage of the laws that were available to everybody, but you have to know about them, much like that magic business card we talked about earlier. Awesome, awesome. Let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Walk. Love it, man. Enjoying the, the weather down there in Hawaii, right? I Well, I it just so happens I'm on vacation in Hawaii right now, and I'm broadcasting from my hotel room. But yes, I, I very much enjoy the weather. And what I would say about that with our, our time here with the pandemic, it's after the pandemic, you can do anything anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States or what state. And I even see that my employees have gone to, and I have international employees as well as throughout the United States. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter whether I'm in home base in San Francisco or I'm in a foreign country. Absolutely, man. That is one beautiful thing that came out of this, being able to work from home, um, and being able to work from Hawaii if you want to and do some podcast interviews from there as well. <laughs> With all your success, what is one limiting belief that you've crushed along the way and how did you get past it? The minute you question yourself or don't have faith in yourself, that's a thousand pound stone around your neck when you try to run a race. I was a poor boy that came from nothing. And I said, you know what? I may have started out with nothing. I don't plan on ending up with nothing. And I chose path of education and hard work. And that's why I'm not still driving a cab in New York City. Love it, man. Come a long way. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom for themselves? Call me. <laughs> Short but sweet. That's awesome. All right. How has passive income made your life or your client's life better? This gives you an opportunity to make money while you're sleeping or on vacation. So with most wages you're basically selling your time for a price. Well, even if you say I'm willing to work 25 hours a day, eight days a week, there's a limit to that. But if you have something like passive income, like real estate, there's no limit to the number of properties you can have or other passive income. And for example, suppose you had a hundred real properties and suppose they're appreciating. You could be laying on the beach here in Hawaii and then you go to sleep that night after a big dinner and you've made money as opposed to your brother who is working someplace and he says, well, he worked three hours, gets three hours pay. Doesn't get paid for sleeping or laying on the beach. <laughs> That's right. You've got to put that money to work for you uh, rather than you working for your money. That's the key with passive income. Steve, it's been awesome, man. Where can our listeners find out more about you and, and get a hold of you? They can call us toll free at 888-TAX-DEAL. That's 888-T-A-X-D-E-A-L. 888-TAX-DEAL or MoskowitzLLP.com. M-O-S-K-O-W-I-T-Z-L-L-P.com. Perfect, Steve. It's been awesome. Let's talk soon. Look forward to it. Well, the beginning turned into more of a TED Talk, but man, Steve dropped golden nugget after golden nugget. How about the quote, most people cheat on their taxes, they cheat themselves. That's awesome. I'll definitely be looking into Steve's firm for my own tax needs in the near future. Major key, don't fear the IRS. They are just doing their job. Have a winning tax expert on your team so that you can sleep restfully at night 
knowing that even if you do happen to get audited, it's no big deal. All right, if you're ready to, for a change and ready to take action, partner with us on one of our next passive real estate deals. Go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and join our Esquire Passive Investor Club. Until next time, folks, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.